Today on Rafi Reviews, Rafi Reviews, Suicide Squad. Hello and welcome to Rafi Reviews, the official review podcast of the panelbatter.blogspot.com. I am, of course, your host, Rafi, and today I have with me the distracting Webby. Go on, guys. Yeah. Um, I've been wanting to do a review of Suicide Squad since I left the theater, and since uh, Webby saw it over the weekend as well, I figured he and I could review it together. So, Webby, what did you expect going into Suicide Squad? Um, honestly, when I saw the trailers for it, I was expecting the Assault on Arkham story arc, Mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, kind of similar, kind of not. Yeah, I I definitely felt that Assault on Arkham was kind of like a launching point to see if people would respond well. Right. Um... Other than that, I was just more so, uh, not going to lie, Raffy, mm-hmm. I was thrilled to finally see Harley Quinn on the big screen. No, yeah, you don't have to be shameful shameful about that. I think that for a lot of people, the only reason people went and saw it was because of Joker and Harley Quinn. Mm. And uh, for as much as I was kind of upset about that, um, because honestly, if they didn't have Joker or Harley Quinn, but they still had everything they had going for them, I, I think people would still try to see it. I, I think yeah. they only had those two just to get butts and seats, and right. uh, n- now that people have seen it, they might be more partial to characters they didn't know about before. Now, it's, see, that was one of the things that I was really hoping for going into this movie was learning a little bit more backstory into some of these characters that I don't know too too much about. Yeah, and they gave it to you. Yeah. So, um. I have a list of topics we can go over as far as uh, story, characters, how everything looks. Um, But before I do, Webby, uh, did you know that a lot of stuff was cut from this movie? I had heard. uh, I heard that there was actually a lot of Joker footage even that was cut from the movie. Yeah, because I've been doing some reading about it, and uh, apparently uh, the film was originally going to be a lot darker. Uh, David Ayer's original script for it. Uh, a lot of the scenes that were cut were would have made the movie darker. Um, some examples, uh, one scene that was cut was apparently Killer Croc vomiting up like a goat, like a, a half-eaten goat, and then eating it back up in front of like some Navy SEALs. Uh, apparently it was going to be a lot more uh, scenes of the Joker kind of being more abusive towards Harley Quinn. Right. And what's interesting about all these cuts is that, I mean, if you don't know the full details, you're kind of like, why would they change all that stuff? Well, after Batman vs. Superman came out, <laughs> uh, there was kind of a wave that fell over Warner Brothers. And the executives at Warner Brothers went down to the studio for Suicide Squad and said, listen, people don't like how dark Batman vs. Superman is. We need to re- we need to do some reshoots, which we heard about in, in comic book news, um... Do some reshoots, do some rewrites, 
uh, include more jokes, make it brighter. So, like, when that news was out, I was kind of like, oh, it's probably just going to be, like, minor changes, not really important. But, like, reading the scenes they had planned and then comparing them to the movie we got, it's very clear how much they had to doll up the movie from what it originally was. Uh, now, are, do you think that <clears throat> when this comes out on DVD, do you think that they'll have any of that extra footage on the DVD? I feel like they will. When they did Batman vs. Superman, the ultimate cut, they included all the deleted scenes. Um, plus, if they release it on DVD, they don't really run the risk of having it be too dark. Right. Uh, again, this is like... I won't get too much into it, but it falls into that that area I've been feeling with DC or Warner Brothers rather, where they're kind of misinterpreting what pe- what people want out of these movies. So like, like stay with me on this thought pattern, right? Because yeah. I got a chalkboard behind me and a bunch of dull little little dots connecting by strings. Um, in starting with Batman Begins, it was dark, it was gritty, it was it was written very well. And it was success. It, it set up all the expectation for Dark Knight, which is one of the best comic book movies ever. So Warner Brothers sees that as a success. They're like, all right, cool. War, uh, comic book movies are working. Uh, we'll do Green Lantern next. And that had bad CGI, uh, bad writing overall, and it, it bombed. People didn't like it. And so we as fans are looking at this like, we don't like this because it's badly written. Warner Brothers sees this and they're going, oh... They don't like if something's not dark and gritty. We gotta go back to dark and gritty. We gotta make it not so colorful. People don't. People want more darker stuff, and that's how we got to Man of Steel, because Man of Steel was Superman, who was all about brightness and hope and 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 light, and they made him darker and grittier, and that didn't work. And the response from that on Warner Brothers' end was, "Huh, man, it, they don't like dark gritty Superman." Well, it can't be the writing. Oh, it's because there's no Batman. So, in the next Superman movie, we'll just put Batman in there. So, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the, I'm seeing the connections here. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're into something good here. Yeah, all, all the executives are just, they're, they're seeing that we're upset, and they're not, I guess, young enough to know how to use a computer. Right. That, that's my, my piece on that. And I think with Suicide Squad, it's the same deal. People saw that Batman vs. Superman flopped because of bad writing, and they assumed it's because it was too dark and gritty, which they were right about that, but they weren't right enough. Right. Because they only fixed one problem with their movies, and, and that was with how the, the tone, really. But in this case of Suicide Squad, I feel like that was a mistake. I feel like the movie could have and should have been darker. I still like the tone they have now, but it, it's very clear how how cut it is. But... Uh, enough about talking about behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, we'll we'll probably get more into that later when we talk about Jared Leto. Because um, he did some pretty fucked up stuff. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about the story, Webby. Uh, in your best way of describing it, describe the story of Suicide Squad. Uh, without spoilers? Uh, with spoilers. I, To me, spoilers are a lot like tipping. It's a scam. Okay. Well, the premise of the Suicide Squad is you have Argus, the the leader of Argus, which is Amanda Waller. Yep. And please correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, because me and some of the other people over at Distractions Media (laughs) have definitely given you props on being the most knowledgeable about comic books. 
Thanks. out of anyone we know. Thank you. That makes my week already. Thank you. Uh, um, so I'd rather be, you know, corrected than kind of just go yeah. along with it. But you're doing well so far. She she isn't. They don't specify. They don't specify with Argus, but she she's U.S. military. Okay. So she wants to put together this team to fight upcoming threats that are on par with like if Superman were to go off the walls. Mm-hmm. Which okay. he, which he really did when you look at when you look back. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. So her idea is okay. Instead of wrangling up all these like trying to find good metahumans. <laughs> yep. Let's just get the worst of the worst and force them into doing what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. That way, if they succeed, cool, makes us look good. If they fail, we have a, a patsy. We have something to throw under the bus. Yeah, we have expendable soldiers. Yeah. Uh, which, the premise of this, I find intriguing. I've always loved the idea of this. Like, oh, let's take some of our favorite super villains and force them to do good things... With the caveat of, if you don't, we're going to blow your head off. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. I, the Suicide Squad, as a, as a comic, as a team, it has been interested in, in that regard. I think it's really, it is a really unique idea. It's also something that, it's one of those ideas that sounds appealing to everyone. Like, like if I went to someone and I explained Green Lantern, they might not really be into it because it's, it's sci-fi and it's cosmic. But the idea of turning former criminals into soldiers by force of will uh, and by manipulation, it's more realistic and it seems more like something the government would do under under pressure. Um, so I, I think that premise itself gets a lot of people invested because they feel that it's more probable. Right. Well, not to mention, um, especially in, in things like this, like, I don't speak for everybody. I do, like moderate violence in comic books. I mean, you always have the typical superhero versus supervillain, and then they fight. There's a big fight. Well, why not... The supervillains are more... They can become more in-depth. Like, you you can do more with them Mm -hmm. because they don't... They have that very fine line of morality. Uh Uh-huh. So, if you need them to kill people, they'll kill people. Yeah. You know, a superhero, a quote-unquote superhero won't kill people. Yeah. You know, they have to fight crime within the confines of the law. Yeah. That that, that brings up one of my favorite things about the film in, in total. Uh, again, I don't care about spoilers here, but when Batman shows up to arrest Deadshot, he doesn't kill him, Webby. He puts cuffs on him. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, but, and he doesn't brand him. Yeah, no. <laughs> I like that, too. <laughs> I bet Will Smith was complaining, like, I, I don't, I'm not going to be branded. Right. <laughs> um, but, like, with the story, like, you, you opened up that. Um, as far as the structure of the story, it's uh, it's kind of weird. It's kind of, I mean, again, from what we know, this film was torn apart and then put back together again. But for what we have here, um, the film starts off with, like you said, Waller assembling her crew um, in like, I think we get a lot of the film's presentation in the opening, uh, where each of our main characters are given like these vignettes, like these little features on them about their backgrounds, mm-hmm. which I liked. It was, it was very stylistic. It was very like, uh, bright and colorful and a lot of style was put in there and I liked that. Um, I will say it was kind of, 
I mean, I, I like all the featurettes on the characters, uh, you know, Deadshot, Killer Croc, uh, Harley Quinn. I just felt that maybe some of them were were too long. See, that's the thing. I like them, but I feel like they took up a little much, too much time. Right. Especially for a first act when, like, it, it felt like the entire first act was trying to get the team together. And even by the end of it, it didn't feel like everyone was there. And, like, it, it has a weird structure to it where... You think the squad is ready, and then one of the squad members turns out to be the bad guy of the film, which I didn't see coming. I didn't, I didn't think it, Enchantress was going to be like the, the main bad guy of the film. Oh, me neither. Um, and we can talk about that when we get to her, but um, they did that. They had Katana show up at the last second, and they had Slipknot show up at the last second. Um, and I felt that... I, I think the only character that really got to be there since the beginning and get more character and still die was El Diablo. Because with, Slip, with Slipknot, I mean, we'll talk about him more, but, like, he shows up, he gets a few lines of dialogue, and then, like, he dies. And uh, it felt pretty obvious. I didn't think anyone was thinking, like, oh, yeah, this guy is going to make it through the entire movie. No. Um, but, like, again, it takes a while for the plot to kind of start up. And uh, Enchantress... Okay, so... Waller found this woman who was an archaeologist. The archaeologist fell into a tomb and uh, was possessed by a witch. Now she can turn into the witch and turn back. Waller manipulated the archaeologist to fall in love with her soldier, uh, Rick Flagg. And on a mission, the enchantress turns heel. She leaves the she leaves Rick Flagg and she possess she <laughs> finds the soul of her brother puts her brother's soul into some guy, and she and her brothers start making some kind of magic doomsday thing in the middle of it. It's it's TMNT, it's Ghostbusters, it's a big beam laser in the sky, um, and the Suicide Squad has to go into this corrupted city, Midway City, which is actually home to Hawkman, of all people, um, to stop the Enchantress and save the world. Um... Again, for Suicide Squad, a covert military uh, team, I, I didn't expect a big bad magic villain who could destroy the world. Can you, uh, can you still hear me there? Oh yeah, I'm just, I'm listening. Yeah, um, I didn't expect a, a magical villain. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think that maybe they, they started, uh, they started too high as far yeah. as, as far as their issues go. You'd think it's maybe like a, Oh, this one country has access to like one superhero. Go there, take out this target, come back. Like that would have been simple enough, and I think it would have made more sense for the context of the team. But for what we did get with the villain, I think uh, it was at least entertaining, if I can say anything. Um, but again, the, the story is structured weird because of all the cuts, and. Uh, like there's several scenes we've seen in trailers that weren't in the fur in the full film, and I guess we'll talk about it more when we get into characters because a lot of the issues with the story have to do with the characters. Um, but if there's anything you have, you have left to say about the story, Webby, I... um, I I agree with you as far as I think they spent a little too much time on some of the characters, like little vignette things. Yeah. Um, I also feel like they didn't spend enough time on others. Like, 
they definitely seemed to have favored certain characters, which I mean, I is fine. Yeah. There are certain characters that are supposed to be like the stars of the the movie. Yeah, whatnot, most of the ones they favored are the ones that survived. Right. Um, now, try uh, clarify something for me because sure. one of the characters I don't know too too much about, and his vignette seemed a little short. Was just Captain Boomerang. He's just a thief. Yeah, he he's kind of a typical criminal. In the comics, he's not as like filthy as he is. Um, right. But uh, but yeah, that's that's basically him. He's he's a thief. He's a criminal. Uh, he's a lot more loyal in the comics. But I felt that like that's after a period of time because with with all of Flash's villains, most of them have kind of a loyalty to each other. But I think this is very early on, Captain Boomerang. Like when the Flash shows up for his cameo, that's obviously the first time they're meeting. Right. But yeah, right. Uh, anything else about the story? Um, did you did you think that maybe the they could have used a different villain for this? Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Like okay, you have somebody who even at the beginning, when they when Amanda Waller introduced, what was it, Jane Moon? Yeah. As the Enchantress, saying that this is one of the oldest and most powerful metahumans known it's like okay so you're automatically gonna make that the villain yeah where where do you go from there yeah i mean i when you say it like that like they put her on all the poster material as a member of the squad but but when we get that description it's like well why would she limit herself to working on the squad if she's that powerful right like when you were describing the next bad superman like this chick is pretty much the next bad superman true and I mean, I guess that's technically why she put the squad together. Yeah, it's just to stop things like this from happening. Yeah, it's that internal issue of like our first bad guy is a, is our one of our own teammates. Like that happens to the Avengers a couple times, like with the Hulk. Um, and as far as the movie being not dark enough, or or it was too dark prior, I I was entertained. I enjoyed the the way they made it now. Uh huh. Um, I think they could have gotten away with, you know, having a a few darker points in there, but leaving it still kind of fun and goofy, uh, because pretty much what I saw was, okay, we all, like you said, we all heard that they did a bunch of reshoots, and it was too dark, they were going to try to lighten it up, well, when I heard that, I was like, oh, so they saw Marvel's success on Galaxy or Guardians, so they're just going to try to make Guardians DC version. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily the road that they should have taken. Yeah. Um, you can definitely see that with the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. But uh, I'm kind of... I'm 50-50 on some of the things that, that, that you said that they did cut out versus leaving in. Yeah. Like, all right... I could have, I could have done more. They could have done more with showing exactly how bestial and just animalistic Killer Croc was. Yeah. Because okay, you have this guy who just lives in a sewer. It doesn't mean he's an animal. Yeah. You know, um, as far as Joker being a, more abusive to Harley Quinn in the in the comics, he is. He's very mentally, emotionally, and physically abusive to Harley Quinn. Yeah. But at the same time. They kind of 
vaguely got that across. Like, there yeah. was the one scene where they were in the car and they were about to run off the dock, and she's like, I can't swim. That didn't fucking stop them. Yeah. Oh, it, I'm sorry, I swore. Yeah, no, that, uh, we we swear here. It's fine. Okay, I wasn't sure. No, it's okay. Oh. Uh, it It is funny in that regard because, like, again, the original cuts are more loyal to the comics as far as the Joker-Harley Quinn relationship. Uh, one of the cut scenes, and I'll, I'll bring it up right here and I'll read it out to you. Um, da, 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 da. Joker and his men escaping after shooting up a restaurant. Harley, who's already affiliated with the Joker, follows them on a motorcycle and intercepts the car. Uh, Joker bangs his head on the glass in frustration. Joker and Harley then get into a fight, which ends with Harley pointing a gun at Joker's face. Joker sweet-talks Harley into lowering the gun, charming her, then backhands her across the face. Afterwards, he sweet-talks her again, and they kiss. So that was a cut scene... Uh, probably replaced with that car ride scene you were talking about. Right. Um, and and you can just see it in how like how they replaced it. I, I know one of the complaints I've heard about this from people I've saw it with um, was that Joker, it seemed Joker wanted Harley Quinn as much as she wanted him. Uh, obviously with the texting, with the Joker going after her, with uh, the helicopter scene when she falls out, he's yelling no. Um so it does seem like she, he is in love with her. And obviously I think that change was made because they wanted a lighter movie. And obviously a super abusive relationship is is too dark. And I, I you know, that being said, a relationship that involves uh, torture, manipulation, and uh, abandonment is pretty bad too. But like it's, you won't be afraid to show that on a, on a film compared to, like, a man beating a woman. Right, but at the same time, uh, I think it would have gotten the point across more so just exactly how psychotic the Joker is. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They seemed to have given the Joker... uh, This is odd to say this. They seemed to have given him too much humanity in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I want you to hold that point. Because All right. well, we'll talk about it later. Because we can get on the characters now, um, because it's it's full of full of characters. This movie. Um, first character I want to talk about is Amanda Waller, played by uh, Viola Davis. I, I I really like Waller in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think that she's everything she is in the book. She's it, it's weird to say because a lot of the time in the comics you see her as just kind of like an anti-hero government figure. With this, I feel like Amanda Waller is just as, or even more, uh, evil as the villains that she's controlling. Uh, When the squad goes to rescue her from the city, uh, she openly shoots all of the CIA members that are with her. I think so there's less people to carry around. Yeah, less people to know what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, so there's less people to know that. Um... Like, the manipulation stuff, too, was pretty interesting. Of course, she he, she takes advantage of Deadshot having a daughter. Um, she takes advantage of, uh, like, the fact that she manipulated Rick Flagg and uh, Jul- June Moon, is it? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, they, like, Jade Moon. Like, the, the fact that she manipulated that love, like, that uh, relationship, like, that's... It's kind of unbelievable, but at the same time, like, I get it. Um... But, like, yeah, she she had no regard for the lives of the people around her. And, uh, she, she, like you said, she set out on a mission, 
to create a team that could stop a Superman-level threat. Now, <laughs> I don't know if this film is a good example of that being true, because, you know, Enchantress and Superman aren't exactly in the same circles as far as how strong they are or what they can do. Um, but the squad is a, is a success, regardless. Um, but what did you think of Amanda Waller? I thought she was spot on. I think the the character was spot on um, from what I know of her. Mm-hmm. And I think the actress who played her did a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. Really tough chick, really unique character to finally see in a film. Um, if we're all set with Waller, again, we both approve of her. Um, we can move on. Oh, I will say, I like that she had an action scene where she started shooting all those uh, zombie people. Oh, in the, uh, in the, was that in in the, the helicopter? Yeah, in the crash helicopter, she grabbed a gun. Yeah. Which is like, yep, that's what Amanda Waller would do. She would not go down screaming. Right. Um, will Smith as Deadshot, which... Uh, Really out-of-the-box casting, not who I would expect. Uh, it's been a long time since we've seen Will Smith in anything comic-related. Um, it's the first time we've seen him playing an anti-hero in a very long time. Like, he's played morally unbalanced characters, I think, but, like, this is the first... I think this is probably the most... the most criminal Will Smith char- like has played. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, he plays Deadshot who's uh, one of the best assassins, one of the greatest shots in the world. Um, he's, uh, if you can hear snoring in the background, that's my dog. Um, Deadshot is, uh, <laughs> Deadshot has a daughter, which is like his weakness, and Amanda Waller uh, takes, you know, advantage of that. Uh, I really like Will Smith as Deadshot. Um, Deadshot in the comics is you know, he's had small personality quips here and there. He's had a daughter. He's had, like, a death, a death wish in the books. But, like, Will Smith's take on the character is still uh, really enthralling. Where he's really likable, but you still recognize that he's a bad guy. Um, it, it doesn't really, really bother me that he doesn't wear the mask all that often, I think. Um, what else could be said? He's He's definitely very funny... In a, in a way, only Will Smith can be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite scenes was... It, it, it's one of my favorite scenes because of how it uses the, the, what the characters have. Um, uh, Will Smith, you know, Deadshot, he's walking through an alleyway with his daughter, and Batman shows up because Waller told Batman that uh, Deadshot was in town. And it's it's done so naturally... And it's it's weird to say this, but like because I mean we've we've I've seen this, you've seen this all the time, but it feels like a very comic book decision to have Batman just show up. Um, I mean it's Gotham, so he's he's likely there, but like that's what I mean. In, in the comics, characters show up, like Superman will show up in a Batman book, and it'll be like, all right, whatever, Batman and Superman are talking, but like we don't see that in movies that often, right? Where like you know you're seeing a Suicide Squad movie, and then Batman just shows up, like you know he's part of the universe. But I guess you never expected that, oh, he actually has like a speaking role and he's not like just here for action. Like he's he's actually has some stake in the story here where he shows up, he and Deadshot are obviously going to have it out. His daughter convinces him just to not fight Batman and uh, Batman arrests him. And like, you, you know that if they use Deadshot again, which they probably will, like, this is going to be a grudge kind of thing. Because like, 
Batman arrested this guy in front of his kid. So, like, I, I really enjoyed that scene. It's amazing that, like, Will Smith and Ben Affleck have, like, a fighting scene in, like, combo costumes. Yep. Um, he's definitely, like, one of the poster boys in the movie. I feel that Deadshot was probably the most fleshed out and best portrayed character in the film. Um, I think he got a lot of good writing in there. And uh, I really enjoyed him. Uh, what, what do you think, Webby? I... I'm with you on... I, I It wasn't my first guess at who they would have role, you know, cast for that particular role. Yeah. I'm really glad they did. He did a phenomenal job, and I think part of that's due to the fact that in an interview, he said that he loved playing the anti-hero. He, he loved playing a, a bad guy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you have an actor who actually enjoys the role that they are, are trying to portray, I think that comes across in film. Yes. You know, it, it makes it so he wasn't just phoning it in. Um, I would say that he was one of the, the best portrayed characters. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give that a tie between him and Harley. Cause yeah. I think Margot Robbie did a phenomenal job portraying Harley Quinn. I agree. Um, but yeah, no, I, I ace two thumbs up for Will Smith being yeah. Deadshot. Great action too. That entire scene of him standing on the uh, police car and just mowing down people. Oh, I loved that. Mm-hmm. And, and all the what, the Navy SEALs were just standing there like, what? Yeah, like there's this guy. Yeah, they just started <laughs> watching at that point. Like, oh wow, he's just he's just doing it. Yep. Makes me wonder why more people don't have like the wrist mounted guns. Like, cause this uh, you know. Obviously knows how to shoot really well, but I wouldn't think Deadshot knows how to make guns. But I don't know. Um, but like you said, the other character that really gets top billing, uh, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. First time she's been, uh, first time Harley Quinn has been on film, uh, you know, ever. And uh, you know, I grew up with the Batman animated series, so it's mm-hmm. interesting to see a character evolve uh, this far. Because Harley Quinn was created for the animated series. She got, you know, she was in the books for a while. She got popular, you know, in the video games. And now she's finally made it to film. And, uh, I... I I like Harley Quinn best when... Like, it feels like she's more allowed to be Harley Quinn, the one I know from the books, when the Joker isn't around. Because when the Joker is around, like, especially at the beginning of the film, she's portrayed very sexually. And I get that that's part of her character, but it shouldn't be, shouldn't be the main factor. Like, when I, when I see Harley Quinn, the first thing I shouldn't, I should think, shouldn't be, you know, her sexuality. It, you know, I definitely feel that's part of it, but it's not the main focus of the character. Um, that entire scene of Joker, like, telling her that she belonged to this guy that he was working with, and, like, he was like, yo, I don't, I don't want your girl, Joker. And she's like, oh, am I not pretty enough for you? Like, that whole thing was kind of uncomfortable for me. (laughs) Um, That's not something I would see happening, but I don't know. It's just the... We'll get more of that when when we get to Joker. But, like, yeah, I think Harley Quinn was at her best when Joker wasn't really around. Um, I liked her more being kind of cute funny rather than sexy funny. Right. Like, I think... And the thing is, Margot Robbie likes the character of Harley Quinn. She's read about Harley Quinn. She... They haven't confirmed or denied, but, like, 
she's expressed interest in doing a Harley Quinn solo movie, and it, it kind of has that Ryan Reynolds, Ben Affleck effect, where if a actor or actress likes a character enough, it's going to translate on film, and they're going to perform well as that character. And yep. uh, with Harley, that's definitely present. Um, uh, what's your opinion on Harley? This is where my opinion is extremely biased, Raffi. Mm-hmm. Harley Quinn. Now, okay. Anybody who has listened to my other podcast or or uh, any of our conversations that we've had, yeah, everyone knows that I'm a Marvel fan through and through. Yeah. Um, I will say that you know I I land I love both brands, but I do land more so on the on the Marvel side of the fence. Mm-hmm. That being said, my hands down, Harley Quinn is my favorite female character. Okay. Not just female villain or female DC character, just hands down female character. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Margot Robbie did a phenomenal job. And like you said, I, I, was, I was glad that it was more like the cute psychotic kind of, you know, character. Yeah, I... I didn't cringe as much as I thought I was gonna. Right. Um, and correct me, I, I, I thought I read somewhere pretty recently, Harley, Harley Quinn was written in for the animated series. Yes, they, uh, they created her for the animated series. And she was just supposed to be a throwaway character, right? She was she was only supposed to be there for like the Joker for like a couple episodes or something. Yeah, just for one episode. She was supposed to be just a henchwoman. Uh, I think they used her once, and then the Paul Dini and Bruce Tim were like, uh, you know, I really enjoyed that character I made. But I'm gonna try reusing her again. And uh, they used her so often, people liked her so much, they just kept using her. Well, I'm I'm perfectly okay with that. And if they if they have any type of you know, um, true intent of making a Harley Quinn movie, they got my money. I'll yeah. See it. Yeah. Again, as long as it's like, as long as it's, as it's Margot Robbie on it, I feel like it would play more to the the relationship between her and Joker. And uh, you know, if anything, I'd rather have it be that than the Joker Harley thing take up most of the Suicide Squad movie. Which, right. uh, luckily, they cut around it so that, like, Joker's only there for, like, 20 minutes or so. Um, right. But other than that, like, again, Harley Quinn, really awesome character. I I don't think I liked the design as much as I did before. Like, beforehand, I was like, okay, whatever, it's, it's an already costume. But, like, after the watching the film and kind of thinking about it, like, it kind of just plays with that, that distaste I have for them pushing her sexuality. Like, at least give her pants, you know? Right. And see, like, out of all of her different costume um, uh, changes that she's had throughout the comics and the video games and so on and so forth. Yeah. Like, I honestly would have been okay if she was just just her Harley Quinn, you know? And I'm really glad that, you know, when she opened up her trunk full of stuff, that just her outfit was in there. Yep. And I really liked the uh, the callback scene of her and the Joker. Yeah, waltzing. Waltzing, yeah. Yeah. I. It was like, it's a costume that kind of looks weird uh, on film, but I, I still think it's a, it's a good costume, especially if you're into the, the classic Harley Quinn look. Right. Now, the reason, you know, 
I'm not going to say that I hated the costume that they chose. That would be a lie. Yeah. Um, and Webby it, never lies. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, what, you know, when the day ends, people know that sex sells. And so they're going to give Harley the sexiest outfit that they can and still get away with the point that they're trying to make, you know, yeah. in the movie to try to sell extra seats. Oh, yeah. Gets butts and seats. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so. I'm sure we'll have more to say about Harley when we get to Joker. Again, he's he's way later, but now we're we're getting onto some characters that <clears throat> I think will be a bit easier to really talk about. Um, Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flag. Uh, I felt that he was really generic. I didn't expect that he wasn't going to be generic. Um, I, I don't know. I. Again, it's tough to feel anything for Rick Flagg because he's supposed to be the straight-edge soldier working with criminals. I think that he had the right response to what all of them were doing. Uh, I really didn't... I guess I didn't really buy his relationship with uh, with the Enchantress just because we never really had a lot of time with it. Again, in, in the cut scenes, there are more scenes of their relationship forming. I think there's two other scenes of them having uh, personal moments. But, like... I don't know, that whole thing of, like, them being manipulated to having a relationship and then him actually falling for it, like, it didn't endear me to his character, the fact that he was so gullible that he'd basically let, like, you know, little Rick down there talk to him. Um, but, like, for for what he was, like, I... He didn't unimpress me, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, yeah. You got anything on Flag? You know, out of all the characters in this movie, he is one that I know... Almost nothing about. Yeah. Um, I I knew that, in I believe in the comics, he did work with Waller. Yeah, he was one of the original Suicide Squad members. Um, but yeah, he was, in, in the comics, he wasn't a villain either, right? He, he was actually yeah, he, a legit military... Yeah, he was the straight-edge leader of, uh, of the squad. Right. Um, so other than that, that's, that's the extent of the info that I actually even know about Rick Flagg. Yeah. Um, so I, I really had no basis of comparison as far as if the actor did a good job or not. Um, yeah. I think he got across the point of being, trying to be the most straight edge that he could. Like, I'm hardcore G.I. Joe man. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so. again, he did the job of generic soldier guy. When they, when they started giving him personality, it, I don't know. I don't know. Rick, he, he's just, he's kind of boring as, as a character goes. Um, but plus, like, the the motivations with him were kind of on and off as far as, like, if he was, if he liked working with the squad, if he didn't. Um, but a character I, I am looking forward to talking about, uh, Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang. Oh, yeah. I, I love Captain Boomerang in this movie. It's funny. I was joking before I saw this film. I was joking with a co-worker... Uh, I was telling him, you know, what if everyone walked out of Suicide Squad and they didn't like the Joker, they didn't like Harley Quinn, what if everyone walked out talking about, like, Captain Boomerang of all people? And now here I am talking about Captain Boomerang and saying that I really like him in this film. Uh, something I don't like about him is the pink pony thing. I I think that, like, because that was never in the books, I don't know where the pink pony came from, the pony fetish, but it was either just for laughs or... I don't want to think they ripped it from Deadpool, but, like, it's just weird. He, like, he also has, like, this weird 
hammer space effect with his coat where he he shoves the pink pony in there but it's like how does does that fit all right i mean he's a big dude he's got a big coat but like i, I guess that's nitpicking um i like that he gets stabbed and he pulls it out of his coat and it hit like a chunk of money he had hidden up there yeah um the the boomerang stuff was kind of kind of weak he did more stabbing than he did throwing. He threw, like, three boomerangs, and only one of them was, like, uh, a special boomerang. Uh, I did, like, the, the special, like, uh, what is it, surveillance boomerang he threw. Oh, yeah, with his phone there? Yeah, I like that, because it's, like, with Batman, you know he's got surveillance batarangs. He throws them, he'll look at his wrist to, to like, see where it's going. With, with like, Pat, Captain Boomerang, you can clearly see, like, yeah, I, I put, like, a, a, a Wi-Fi thing and a camera in this one boomerang, and then I'll link it to my, my little cell phone here, my little Samsung, and, uh, and then I'll throw it. Like, it, it's really obvious he came up with it by himself. It was like a DIY uh, right. recording uh, boomerang. <laughs> and it's like, that's probably the most intelligent thing he does the entire film. Uh, now, in, in the comics, does he have specialized boomerangs? Like, I know he had, uh, I, at least in one comic that I read, he had, like, explosive boomerangs. Yeah, I think he has one explosive boomerang in this film. But, yeah, he, he does use trick boomerangs in the comics. Right. Um, one such classic Flash comic had him tie Flash to a giant boomerang and then shoot that into the city. Nice. Plus, there was never a scene of the boomerang being thrown and it coming back. Like, that's, like, the main purpose of your boomerang, and you don't even <laughs> yeah. you don't even show that happening. I, I thought the same exact thing. When I left the theater, one of, one of my main questions was, wow, Captain and Boomerang must lose a lot of boomerangs. Yeah, like, he, he's good at flinging, but not good at catching, like... I, I at least wanted one scene where he throws it, and he's like, all right, I got to wait for it to cut. Like, someone's like, ha, you missed. And he's like, no, I didn't, and the boomerang hits him. See, I thought that's what was going to happen at first when he threw it at Katana. Yeah. I thought, because she, like, ducked or hit it out of the way or something, and I was like, oh, just wait, it's going to come back. <laughs> Never came back. Never even, you know what, I think it's just that Captain Boomerang is so dirty, even his boomerangs don't come back to him. Actually, I think I may have misspoken. Did that boomerang come back? It I, just didn't come back and hit her. No, it, it just it didn't. Oh, oh, oh. It, it didn't come back. Sam, shut up. It didn't come back. I when she had him pinned up against the wall, didn't he catch the boomerang? No, wait. Like, yeah, he did. It came back like super late. No, yeah, it was a it was a special delay boomerang. <laughs> yeah, he just threw it around, you know, four he, city blocks. That's he put all. he put it on the little turtle option and then threw the boomerang. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but I I liked his uh, again. He had that one scene of where he's robbing the bank. He betrays the guy he's robbing it with, and then like the flash shows up and it's like, oh, that's that's cool. That's cool that we we get that reference. I was worried that they wouldn't even mention the flash with Captain Boomerang. Right. Um, Again, I, I just like how... it's I like him the same reason I like Wario, in that he's just such a disgusting slob. Um, like, he's just hairy, and he look, he's gross, and, like, he smiles, and it's gross-looking smile. Um, he gets... Like, they pull him out of that bag at the at the beginning when they recruit him. The first thing he does is get up and punch someone. Mm -hmm. uh, again, he's got an infinite amount of beers in his coat that he'll just pull out and drink whenever. He, he's such a wacky character. Um... I will say it, it, it felt kind of weird. Like again, cuts and changes to the movie. He was supposed to be a lot worse of a character as far as like his credibility. But the the scene where they're drinking at the bar 
and Rick Flag walks in and he's like, listen, I deactivated all of your bombs and your necks. Uh, you can do whatever you want now. And he grabs his, his beer and kind of just shuffles out of the room. Like, I like that. I, liked, I was kind of hoping, like, oh, he just ducked out. Like, he's done. <laughs> um, but then he shows up for the final fight, and it's like, oh, I was kind of hoping you'd just, like, like, that would be the best if, like, he was the only one, like, no, yeah, I don't care about saving the world. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. See, I agree. I think that would have fit more with his character, too. Yeah. But at the same time, he was just like, well, there's nothing else to do. Yeah, at least have a scene where he's drinking a beer and he's like, ah, screw it, you know. Right. When am I ever going to get another chance to save the world? Now, one thing I will say about his character, and you've brought it up a couple different times, is his coat. I love his coat. Yep. And as a a D and D fan, it's like a it's like a bag of holding in a coat. <laughs> it's a coat of holding. Yeah, it's a coat of holding, and I love it. Yeah. Um, I do have to say, probably top three Captain Boomerang scenes was. <laughs> When he first came out of the bag and punched the guy. Yep. When he was stabbed and they pulled that pad of money out. Yep. <laughs> and then, like you said, when he was given his drinks at the bar and he just GTFO'd. Yeah, I feel like he, I think he used both hands to, like, carefully carry his drink out of the bar. Yep. Um, yeah, he's, he's a fun character. Um, next character, I, I, I'm amazed that I got such a likability for this, for this next one. Uh, Jay Hernandez as El Diablo. Now, El Diablo, from what I know in the books, he's, he's a more recent addition to the Suicide Squad. In like 2014, they added him. But his whole deal is that he's a metahuman who... I think they call him a metahuman... They don't specify. It's not like metahumans are always kind of like mutants. It's, you know, you're born with powers or something. But he's somewhat magical where he's got, like, some kind of fire demon inside him I, I forget how his powers work but el diablo he used his firepower to become like one of the latin kings of uh, los angeles and uh he had a family but he lost control of himself and ended up killing his wife and kids and uh and then when we meet him again in uh, in prison he, he's taken like a a vow against violence and his whole he's he's one of the only characters that has a really strong arc where he's seeking redemption, but he doesn't know if he should fight or not. Yeah. Um, See, I thought that was... Like, I, this is another character I know very little about. Yeah. Um, I liked the fact that they pretty much made him stick to character. Like, he didn't, he didn't want to hurt anybody else. Yeah. So he, you know, at first he's like, I'm not joining your, your team. And then he did the little pyro goodbye thing. Yeah, I like that. I like they make, he, make, he can make uh, shapes with the fire. Right. And then when they, when they stuck the bomb in his neck and said, hey, guess what? You don't have a choice. He still just refused to fight. Yeah, he still just walked away from fights. Until Deadshot started tapping him on the forehead and they got <laughs> into the whole, I'm touching you, I'm touching you. And then he yeah. just blew up. I, I love his dialogue, too, where he has that, like, he felt like a legitimate, like, L.A. gangster. Um, mm -hmm. It's funny, they had that one shot of him and his family, and he's wearing, like, a, a button-up flannel shirt, but he still has all the tattoos on his face. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I like his dialogue. I like the redemption angle where he seems dead set on making up for his mistakes. Uh, one of the things that I really liked was he makes, like, a little fire lady who, like, dances in his hand. 
And it reminded me of the Batman animated series with Mr. Freeze. Because Mr. Freeze's whole thing is that his wife is dead and he feels cold inside, hence Mr. Freeze. Um, but he he has a little snow globe of a, of a dancing ballerina. And he it's the only thing he has in his Arkham cell. And he looks at it and it reminds him of his wife. And so, like, oh, this is kind of like the El Diablo fire variant of that. Right. But, like... I think his powers are cool. I love that he turns into, like, an Aztec demon in the final fight. Okay, that blew me away. Yeah. Did, did not see that coming. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, so this guy's just gonna, like, burn this big magic god-like dude and just kind of slow him down by, like, superheating him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he gets knocked back, and I was like, oh, okay, now he's just gonna get angry and he's gonna go, like, all inferno. And then he, like, turned into Diablo, and I was like, yeah. whoa, all right. It was props. cool, because it, it <laughs> seems like both of them were Aztec in, like, their origins. Yeah. So it makes me think, like, oh, El Diablo's actually, like, tied to these guys a little bit. Um, again, he's definitely one of the more likable characters. Um, I like at the end where he defends his own family. And, you know, I was, I didn't, I didn't guess a lot as to which characters would die before the movie. Before the movie, there was only one character I knew was going to die. Yep. Because for me, it was obvious. But um, with El Diablo, like, watching through it, when they got to the final confrontation, I'm like, you know, weirdly, they, they've only killed off, like, one one character on the squad. Like, they have to kill someone else off, right? It's a, it's a Suicide Squad movie. It's, like, tradition to kill off. And I'm like, oh, they're really building El Diablo up. They're probably going to sacrifice him because he's the only one that's not really connected to a major superhero. So they probably wouldn't use him again. And sure enough, he's the one that sacrifices his life. Which I now, like. I like that they killed him off, to be honest. Now let me ask you this, though. Sure. Um, because you, you'll, you'll, I'm sure you'll appreciate this, Raffi, from our Batman versus Superman <laughs> discussion we had. You never actually got to see El Diablo's body. Do you know for sure he's dead? He wasn't Aztec like Diablo fire god. He was standing on top of a bomb. He was no, he was laying down. The the guy had him pinned yeah, to the I, ground. Yeah, I'm aware. But he, he he was a fire god. Man, he's got a fire god inside of him. If they That's all I'm saying. If he's not dead, I'm moving mad. I'm just saying he didn't see a body. <laughs> like he had it was a full circle death. He he avenged his family and saved the world. There'd be no point to bring him back. <laughs> Except to have some, like, lame, like, drama scene where he shows up on, like, a, a shining uh, hill. He's like, yeah, it's me, I'm back. Eh. I don't know, if they bring back as a villain, that'd be kind of cool. Like, he comes back, see, like, full demon. Yeah, see, that's what I was thinking of, is he comes back just in pure demon form. Like, he no longer has his mortal shell. Yeah, like, the human part of him died. Right. And he's literally the Diablo. Yep. But uh, I, would be, I would be okay with that. Yeah. He was a really cool character. I, I like him a lot. Um, next we have... Oh, God. This name is going to kill me. Um, Adewal Ikenui Ab, Agbaje as Killer Croc. <laughs> okay. That, that, that's the actor that plays him. Killer Croc's actual name is like Wesley, Wesley oh, Jones. Oh, yeah. Dewal, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, yeah, know. yeah. I was reading out the actor's name, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Adewal, Triple A here. He plays Killer Croc, and he does a really good job at it. Um, I really like Killer Croc in this movie. I think that the limited use of him does uh, does kind of help in the the time he does have the show off. For a lot of the scenes, he doesn't really do much, but looks scary. Uh, when he's actually 
having action scenes or swimming in the ocean. He swims, or swimming under the tunnels. He swims like a, like a crocodile, but like, he doesn't have a tail, so it looks kind of weird when he does it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love his design. I love that he's not like a, a crocodile head on a person body. I like that it's like the classic Killer Croc, because a little comic knowledge for you, when Killer Croc first showed up, he wasn't a crocodile man. He was just a man with a skin condition who was, I think, uh, like a circus freak, so he was really strong. And people treated him like a monster because of his skin condition, so he became a monster. Later versions of the character would have like have it be like, oh, his DNA is mixed with crocodile DNA, and sometimes he's like a big hulking crocodile monster, and like they they change it from time to time. But I I do like this version of Killer Croc. Um, the effect work is really good, but I, I don't know how I feel about the teeth because the teeth are scary, but you never see him open his mouth all the way. Right. It, especially when he's talking. When he talks, it's more like his lips move and his teeth grit a little bit. Um, but, like, for what he does do with his talking, I think he, he had, like, pretty good lines. Uh, I love the line when they're in the bar, and Harley's saying that they're all ugly on the inside, uh, except for Croc. He's ugly on the outside. And Croc is sitting there like, no, I'm beautiful. Yeah. That was really cool. He he felt like the Groot of this team. <laughs> um, but I really like Killer Croc. It's amazing that they have, like, so many Batman-related characters on this on this film, and I, I, it doesn't feel like they're pushing it with Killer Croc just because he's kind of the simple brute character. And uh, I'm happy to kill him off. I, I like seeing him here. And I like that his, like, his resolution, because at the end of the film, a lot of the characters get resolutions, except for Captain Boomerang, who's just kind of like, locked in a cell yelling. <laughs> um, but with Killer Croc, they give him a TV because he... When they ask what he wants uh, as a reward, he's like, I want B-E-T. And so he's got, like, a TV screen in his sewer cave. And uh, it's, like, showing, like, <laughs> like a music video. Um, but go ahead about Killer Croc. Now, I... First off, was he, like, a boxer or something? Is, is that, like, the story that they're going with? In the movie or the books? Either. Uh, and... Usually he's like a, a circus freak who got treated poorly and ran off to the sewers. Okay, but he, he is always he, he is always that strong guy, right? Yeah, he's a strong man. I feel like he would box just because he has no other training in martial arts. Right. And usually if you come from the streets like that, you would pick up something like that. Yeah, I was hoping for the assault on Arkham Killer Croc with the metal jaw. Oh, that was, that was King Shark, Webby. That was King Shark? Yeah, that was King Shark. Oh, man, am I getting my stuff confused now? Just because they're both, like, animal people. It's true. I guess that's uh, comic book racism right there. I guess so. I think think they went with Killer Croc because it would be an easier effect. When they do King Shark, uh, they did him a couple times on the Flash TV show on CW. And he, King Shark has never and will never look any better than he did on the Flash. Because I don't know if you, have you seen that episode? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he just shows up for a few, like, when he first shows up, he's only there for, like, a few seconds, I think, like, for a full minute where he picks up the Flash. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that, he's a full shark man with a shark head and a man body. And the very first time I saw it, I was like, oh, street sharks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, street sharks. But he shows up, and it's, like, the most amazing effect. And again, he's only there for a few minutes. Like, Flash turns a corner, and then King Shark just picks him up. Yep. But, uh, Continue. So, I liked I liked Killer Croc. I, I liked how um, 
you know, when they said, oh, the Navy divers will go down into the sewers and, you know, it's flooded. And he's like, oh, I'm going with you. Yeah. And they're like, no, we got this. He's like, ah, I wasn't asking. Yeah. I, I needed to do something in this film, so I'm going to do this. Right. Um, I liked how they made him swim. It was very unnatural. Like, it, it wasn't, you yeah. could tell it just, this guy's not human now. Yeah. Um, I hated, I will tell you this much, I hated how he went into that water. Oh, when he crawled stairs. on all fours. It's like, dude, there's <laughs> stairs and you look awkward now. Yeah, I know <laughs> just, you're trying to be a crocodile, but like, just walk, dude. Use a railing system. Or just dive, yeah. you know, just normal dive into the water. Just, it looked like he was trying to go for a trot and he kind of slipped in. <laughs> Um, other than that, yeah, I mean, generic strong guy in movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked it. Now, on on par, like, his strength level, what's he supposed to be comparative to? Um, Just a strong human? or He's strong enough to overpower Batman. Like, okay. Like, this Batman, especially. Okay. Yeah, like so he, so he could he could potentially like flip a car over if oh, he needed yeah. to. I I yeah, this killer croc I feel like at most he could probably flip a car. Okay. I I was, I was see that was the entire time I was very uncertain as to okay, this guy's strong, but they're not giving you really like any basis of comparison to how strong he really is. Yeah, that that's kind of how they did uh like continuing the Guardians comparison. That's kind of how they did Drax cuz in the movie, Drax is, like, strong guy. But, like, in the comics, like, no, he's, like, godly strong. He can, like, lift, like, huge buildings over his head. Right. But, um, yeah, Killer Croc, we like him. Good character. Um, next we have the actress Karen Fukuhana, Fukuhana, Fukuhara <clears throat> as Katana. Uh, Katana is kind of a late addition. Like, she literally just shows up on the plane last minute. Um... She's shown to be uh, killing, like, Yakuza members in Japan. Her whole deal is that her fiancé was murdered by criminals and his soul was trapped in a magical sword. And now she uses that sword to seek vengeance on others. And for every person she kills, their soul is contained in the sword as well. Um, She speaks mostly in Japanese dialogue, which I I like. I kind of like that about her character. Uh, I love her costume. Like she, mm-hmm. she looks like one of the most legit characters in the film, like closest to the comics. Uh, the white mask is cool. The the jacket, I, I like that look. Uh, Katana is always a character that I've really liked in the comics, but I felt she never got her just due outside of the books. And uh, now that she's here as a, a strong character, she doesn't do much, but like she gets action scenes, and that's really most as you can expect from her. I, I feel that she is used mostly for action. There's only a few scenes where you get any bit of character from her. Uh, but other than that, I think she's a, a cool character. Uh, I'm happy to see her. It, it's nice that we have like a secondary female character on the Suicide Squad team who is so different from Harley Quinn. So and that, who's not forced to be there, technically. Yeah, so, so like if you're like a... If by any chance you're a, a, a female watching this movie and you don't like Harley Quinn, you, you can look forward to Katana, at least. Um, but I like her. Uh, what do you think, Webby? I liked her as a character. I gotta say, my favorite scene was when she jumped onto the plane, like, the very first time you meet her. Yeah. And there's that interaction between her and Harley. (laughs) And Harley's just like, oh, I love that perfume. It smells like death and decay. (laughs) 
Uh, and then immediately Katana's like, should I kill her? You know? Yeah, right. Like, can I, <laughs> should I just kill her? It, it, it's great that she's kind of like a bodyguard to uh, Rick Flag. Right. This, like, five foot three, like, Japanese woman. <laughs> now, in the comics, is. What is her. Does she have a power, quote unquote? No, I, I would say the thing about her is that she's obviously a master swords, uh, swordsman. Uh, her soul, her her sword can still contain souls, and it is magical. So like, it can't blast anything, but like it can cut through Superman. Right, because he's a, he's vulnerable to magic stuff. Yeah, right. So every time every time she kills somebody, it traps their soul in the sword. Yeah, they don't really display that super well in the in the film. They say it, but they never show like anything flying. Like it would have been cool if she was killing those monsters and their souls went into the sword or something. Right now. Uh, comic book wise, is there something specific about that? Like, is there, does that make that sword stronger or more powerful the more souls that it consumes? Or I think that it's more of like a a fear tactic. Like, if you're fighting katana, you can kind of sense like whoever you are, you can sense that there's souls of people in the sword. Right. And, and while the swords don't affect the sword's uh, use in any way, it's more like you're battling someone who you're basically seeing her kill count. Like, you're feeling it. I, I can see that. Yeah, it's really... It's and I a, mean, cool that, that, that's got to be some form, like you said, a fear tactic when when you're somebody tells you, hey, you're going up against her. If she kills you, it doesn't matter what you believe in. Your soul's going to be stuck in that sword. Yep. You know? So... Yeah, your entire eternity is just, like, waiting for other people to get killed so you can be like, so this is how I got killed. This is how Jim got killed over here. Oh, you should hear Louie's story. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sounds like a personal hell uh, of any. Of mm. just, like, waiting in a sword for other people to show up so you can all just trade stories. Um, but yeah, Katana, cool character. Uh, next we have Adam, uh, the actor Adam Beach playing Slipknot. This is the guy who I saw and I was like, no, he's dead. He's dead. Like, for one thing... Like, for one thing, he I know who the character is. He, he's a he's a firestorm villain, and if you're a D-list villain of a D-list hero, you're not gonna make it far in a Suicide Squad movie. They're mm. not gonna they're not they're not gonna re- reuse you for anything else. Like I could tell, he was the cannon fodder on the team, but like he shows up at the end of the recruitment scene, punches a woman in the mouth or something. Um, they get into the city. Captain Boomerang, like, talks him into thinking the bombs are a lie, which, good for Captain Boomerang, I guess. Um, Slipknot takes off, and he dies. Um, the other thing that will probably convince anyone that he was going to be the first to die is they say he can climb anything. Because Slip- yeah. Because Slipknot has unbreakable ropes. That's his gift. Uh, he made a liquid that uh, you can put over ropes, and the ropes don't break. That's how it was in the comics. Which is like, why don't you just pour that on yourself? I, you know, okay. Yeah. I have a few things about this character. And now, this has been a, an ongoing thread on Facebook uh, amongst some of the distractions crew. Uh-huh. Um, a few of them brought up this, this character specifically. Like Anthony mentioned, he has no clue what this character was even in the movie for if they were just going to kill him off. And I, I tried to explain, well, they needed to 
portray the fact that these bombs in your neck were real and to show you physically what happens if you were to piss off Rick Flag yeah. or go He's against an example, the yeah. Right. Um, Anthony's other argument was his thing is that he can climb anything. If you give Anthony grappling hooks with guns that can shoot him, he can climb anything too. And it's like, yeah, that's the dumbest thing in the world to me. Um, they didn't... In the movie, they didn't they didn't explain anything about his ropes being unbreakable. No, yeah, I think that, I don't think they did. He they just said he could climb anything. He just said, yeah, you can climb anything. Yo, and he, then I, I I figured, okay, so this guy's like Spider Man or something. He can just like scale stuff super <laughs> easy. Next thing you know, he's like shooting a grappling hook, and then he looks really cheesy when it's pulling him up. Yeah, like Batman does that, and, and, he, like, and oh. he uses one grappling to do it, like. Like you don't, I mean, you don't get it. He's really good at climbing things. He's really good. He spent a lot of time on swing sets as a kid. Yeah, like <laughs> getting Slipknot on your Suicide Squad team is like getting a guy who's like, no, you don't get it. He's really good at you frisbee. Know, but see, the thing that I don't get, and the the part that really bothers me, yeah, is Amanda Waller at the beginning. Stated, she wanted the worst of the worst, the best, the best bad guys there were. She willingly wanted Slipknot. Like that's the kid. I'm sorry. I'm a fat. I'm a. I'm a big guy. Mm -hmm. But that's the kid that you pick last on the on the dodgeball team. Okay. No one wants to pick this guy. I want to know who else passed on him that Amanda Waller had to get stuck with him. <laughs> like all the other Suicide Squad teams that said no. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you could have literally put in any other villain and it would have been way cooler. <laughs> I, I feel like maybe it's better that he's in there as like the first to die like joke. He's like the Dan Hibiki of this. He's like the he's the joke character of Suicide Squad. Yeah. He did his job of dying. To, to prove a point. And you know what? What? He did, he did his job really well. Yeah, he served his purpose as awful as it might have been. Uh, apparently one of the cut scenes was like a, a bio on him saying that he was like a, a serial rapist. Yeah, I heard about that. Which is like, I guess they wanted to make him you know, darker or whatever, but they had to cut that out too. Which is like... I feel like if they kept that in, maybe it would have been better because he's he gets his head blown off. So like, I feel like everyone can cheer about that. Um, yeah, but I don't think you're necessarily supposed to cheer about them getting their heads blown off. It's <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Um, then we have uh, Cara Del Delavine as uh, Jade Moore, aka the Enchantress. Uh, we talked a little bit before, but like some of the stuff I want to mention is that. Despite her being an unexpected villain, I think that she's definitely, like, an out-of-place character for the film. And I know a lot of people have that complaint of her feeling that she doesn't belong. But for me, part of what makes her kind of entertaining is that she feels so out-of-place. Uh, when we first see her in the caves, she looks like uh, like the grudge. Like, she should, she looks like a horror a horror movie ca- a character. Mm-hmm. Where she's like a like woman on all fours, crawling around. Um... The, the first transformation scene where they're in the boardroom and Amanda Waller's like, all right, show them what you can do. And she says it, Enchantress, and she goes from being psychol- like the archaeologist to like, she puts her hand on the table, another hand comes up under it, and then it flips, and then you look up and it's Enchantress. I love that effect. Coolest part 
I thought. Yeah, that Hands down. That and when she goes to that business guy in the bathroom in the and she's in the mirror and her hands come out of the mirror and slams his head in the into the mirror. Mm-hmm. Those are really cool. I like the effects with that. I like that. Again, the way she looks, like she, like I mean, it looks pretty like CGI, but again, she feels like she's out of this world because she's an ancient uh, goddess. Right. Um, I like that. I like that they actually gave some kind of lore to her. Of like, yeah, she's a witch, but like, not like a broomstick, you know, pointy hat kind of witch. She's like the ancient Aztecian goddess. You know, you used to worship her kind of witch. Um, I think I liked her dirtier, scarier costume more than her like empress costume. Yeah. Uh, what was the other thing? Oh, I will say, I the thing that disappointed me about her was that like she didn't get a lot of character. Like we know that, like at least her anti her alter ego didn't. Like the archaeologist chick, we like when we see her in this film, we either see her being terrified or being in love with Rick Rick Flag. That that's all you see of the archaeologist. You get more personality and more depth about the Enchantress than you do about her human alter ego. Which is why, like, when they keep making this point of saying that, like, oh, the archaeologist is scared and she doesn't want to do this anymore, I didn't feel any, like, uh, sadness for her and her her part in this. Um, I was... The other two things that disappointed me were the the heart. The, the idea that Amanda Waller has the heart of the Enchantress... And if she stabs it or crushes it, it'll hurt Enchantress. And, like, you, you set up this obvious weakness, and then you don't really use it for anything. Because once uh, once the Enchantress has her brother uh, revived, he shares his power with her, and the heart becomes useless. Mm-hmm. Um, until the end, when they crush it and, and the Enchantress dies. Uh, I think that it might have been better if, like, the Enchantress got her heart, but she couldn't put it back inside herself. So, like... The heart was more like a MacGuffin that was like well guarded in their uh, in their base, so that the suicide squad like so you'd have like a part of the squad distracting Enchantress and another side of the squad looking throughout the building for the heart. Um, it it would have made the team like it would have gave them diverse roles instead of like all four of them teaming up against her at the end. Um, and then the other thing is. Crap! Did I did I lose the other thing? Hold on, hold on. Uh, oh, I was disappointed she didn't die at the end. Like Enchantress died, but the girl didn't. And I felt that that was way too like they do a lot of cookie cutter obvious things in this movie. Like obvious, like again, I mentioned the uh, the beam in the sky that they do in every movie, um, mm-hmm. end of the world stuff. Like they do that all the time. I was really disappointed that like when the Enchantress died. Uh, Jude Moore or <laughs> Jude Moore, Jade Moon crawled out of the like the the body, and it just seemed like, all right, cool. Rick Flag gets his girl because that's like that's all she is. She oddly enough, the damsel in distress stereotype character is also the stereotypical evil villain, and the fact that Rick J- Rick I almost said Rick James the fact that Rick Flag gets his girl at the end and there's no like repercussion like I feel like if they let both characters die off and uh Rick Flagg didn't get you know his his love interest back it would have set up more tension between him and Amanda Waller because at the end of this film he's still part of the squad but if Enchantress died and if her archaeologist side died too maybe Rick Flagg would have quit and that would have been like his 
his resolution. Like, his arc would have been completed after knowing that, like, yeah, my girlfriend's dead, but at least she's, like, not mm. suffering uh, the fate of being attached to a witch anymore. Like, maybe it's better that she's dead than being demonic like this. And the fact that she can't be controlled by Waller anymore is a sign that she's free and that I should get out of whatever I'm doing. But, uh, again, with the Enchantress and the, the that whole thing, I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities with those choices. Um, I know you gave a couple of your opinions, but if you have anything more, Webby? No, I completely agree with everything you said, except for the delusion that anyone would think that Rick Flag, even if, if June Moon had died, that yeah. Rick Flag would have been able to walk away from Waller. Yeah. I don't think Waller as a character would have allowed that to happen one way or the other. Yep. Um, it, she either would have had, she either has backup dirt on Flag mm-hmm. to keep him in her pocket, yeah. or she would have just killed him outright. Yeah. It would have been kind of interesting if, like, the relationship between Flag and Moon was more sexual than romantic. Mm-hmm. Like, like if he, if he wanted to save her because, you know, he did not full-on love, but if it was more like, I gotta save this woman to save the world, and also because, you know, I sleep with her, so I, I feel attached to her, and I feel something, but it's not full-on love. I don't know. If they killed her off at the end, I know, you know, he probably wouldn't leave the squad, but at least, like, next time around, if they do a sequel, which we'll talk about later, um, at least then later on he'd have some, like, some backup to throw at Waller in an argument. Right. Like, you tricked me into falling in love with someone only to have them die at the end of a mission. Now, question. Yeah. Enchantress, when she's June Moon... Yeah. She becomes the Enchantress by just saying Enchantress? Yeah. Now, is that the Enchantress forcing her to say that? It might be. It might be even... I mean, because she turns into Enchantress sometimes not even uh, meaning to do it. Right. I mean, that was that was kind of my question was, if this has to be like a, a symbiotic thing where, okay, to become the Enchantress, June has to willingly say that. Yeah. Then, like, that whole bedroom scene where she just kind of becomes the Enchantress, why would you even say it? Like, why just keep... I would tape my mouth shut. Yeah, I, I think it is against her will. I, I like at first it seemed like a multiple personality thing because... Uh, when Waller's showing off the Enchantress to all the uh, the people in that boardroom, uh, Enchantress gets some like government files, and then she's like, "Okay, we'd like to see Miss uh, Miss Moon again," and like the, the way they said it like that, it, it seems like, "Oh, we'd like to see this person again." Can you turn back into like? I feel like when I've seen multiple personalities in like fiction, it's usually that. It's like I'd like to talk to this person again. Right. Now, I do have to say that whole scene where you first get to meet her and Waller's showing her off and, and Enchantress goes and gets those files, hands down, best scene involving the Enchantress, in my opinion. Yeah. Because you get that cool effect, like you said, with the hand coming up to the table, yeah. then all of a sudden she's her. And then you get the comedy effect of after she gets the file, she's just touching the side of the general's face and he's just like, don't touch me. Just <laughs> yeah. stop touching me. Like she just dumps that file thing and then just starts touching. Like I liked it more when she was kind of like weird native. Right, like she's intrigued as to, you know, like our, that's why she was touching him was she's curious. Yeah, like she sees our like world and she and it confuses her. 
And then later on, she just turns into the stereotypical angry god. Now, what was confusing me, and maybe you can shed some light on this, because I don't think they explained it well enough. Yeah. Um, because I don't even think the Enchantress quite knew what she was trying to do either. <laughs> yeah. Was her weird death machine at the end. Uh, what was the point? Like, what was that supposed to accomplish? Uh, I think, like, you know how she was, like, kissing all those people and turning them into monsters? Uh-huh. I think it was going to be, like, a worldwide kiss where they all turn into, like, monster people. And it, it was either going to be that or, like... Because she said that... Yeah, I thought she was trying to destroy technology. Yeah, because she says to her brother, like, they don't worship, worship us gods anymore, they worship technology, which, all honestly, I, I think we can all agree that's pretty much true these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, she doesn't make it clear as to what the big, powerful magic beam is going to do. Not to mention, her her magic looked... She made her magic look like gears in a machine. <laughs> yeah. Which Maybe. is like either a really, a really funny jab, yeah, or super dumb. Yeah. Did Did you like that scene where she's like making the magic happen and she's like like dancing like it's like she's crunking or something? Right. Her body's yeah. like jittering around and like a weird belly dance. Like a... I I asked my buddy that I went to the movie with. I was like. Why is she dancing? Well, is that part of this magic spell? I wonder, Does like, she have to continue to... And then she turned around to face the, the crowd, and she was still jiving. Yeah. And I'm like, what's up with this? I want to take that, make it into a gif, and put, like, like erotic music in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Just her jittering. I don't know, she reminded me a lot of a Diablo 3 witch doctor, because they just kind of jitter around all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, all right. She's got the jitters, man. She's got a bad case of the jitters. <laughs> so, uh, the last character I want to talk about, and I saved him for last because I got a lot to say, uh, Jared Leto as the Joker. Now, before we talk about how he is in this film, it's important to note that what we heard about Suicide Squad on set was that Jared Leto stayed in character 24-7. Will Smith said in an interview, he never met Jared Leto. It was just always the Joker. Um, Jared Leto apparently did a lot of research. He became, like, he method acted the whole thing, where apparently he mailed, he mailed dead animals to Margot Robbie. (laughs) He he mailed bullets covered in, uh, we'll say, uh, Jared droppings. To uh, to Will Smith, he would just send weird stuff. Usually, they would be coming covered in semen or condoms. Uh, he would send them to his cast members, and apparently, they had to have a therapist on set because it was just so crazy having having him there. And then, like, I think he tweeted on Facebook, like, "Yeah, I was inspired by like David Bowie or something." Because hey, he just passed away. Let's let's use that now that he can't like <laughs> say otherwise. But like. It was all of this build-up, all of this behind-the-scenes, like, oh, yeah, I was doing this, and I and I mailed these things, and it's like, we found out that Heath Ledger did, uh, like, he, what did he do? He locked himself in a motel room and, like, mm-hmm. researched for, like, 30 days on the Joker before he came out, yeah. um, but we only learned that after he passed away, I think, and so I feel like Jared Leto did all this, or at least says he did all this as a way to kind of, like, compare to that. Like, he's like, no, 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 I, I'm really into the Joker, too. I'm doing all this crazy stuff uh, to, to show that. And then we get to the film, and uh, 
I've heard people disagree. I've heard people say they like Jared Leto's Joker. I've heard people say, like, oh, I couldn't even get into it because of how he looked because he looks like a, a modern-day gangster. And by that, he just looks like a... He looks like a rapper, but, like, not a rapper you want to listen to. He's got a grill and tattoos, and he's mostly shirtless for a lot of scenes. But the thing I felt about Joker, and I never thought I'd say this, I found the Joker boring. Yeah. No, I'll agree with that. He... The only time he scared me, at least a little, was, like, I think when he smiled while he was in a straitjacket talking to, like, Dr. Harley Quinn. Um, but, like, he... It felt like he didn't tell one joke. It felt like he... Like, his laugh was, like, really lackluster. All the tattoos didn't help. He had, like, a tattoo of a smile on his hand, and he'd hold it up in front of his mouth. Like, what is... He's not even, like... He's, like, at least with Heath Ledger, he was, like, entertaining weird. Right. And, like, the things he did didn't make a lot of sense, but they did to him. With Jared Leto, he's just, like... I feel like he's just being Jared Leto. Like, I don't see the Joker in his performance. I see Jared Leto dressing up and playing Joker the best he thinks he can. And, like... Just, like... The fact that he, like, he doesn't, like, tell jokes. And that's not the thing that kills it. But I'm saying, like... He doesn't make me laugh. He doesn't make me hate him. Uh, he he growls for some reason. Like he tries to see, seem more threatening. Whereas like with other Jokers, you know they're threatening, but but they don't show it too much. Mm-hmm. And with this with this Joker, he's very clearly trying too hard to make you afraid of him. Um, again, the mannerisms, how he speaks, like th- there's that part where he Harley Quinn jumps into the vat of acid. And he's like, he turns around and he's just like, oh, like he's taking a, 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 a sigh of like, oh, I don't want to, but I want to. And he jumps in the pool or something. Um, again, the, the whole relationship between Joker and Harley, I, I didn't like. Uh, again, from what they cut, it, it would have been more loyal. But from what we got, it's like, it seems like Harley Quinn, again, Harley Quinn is more entertaining than the Joker. Most of the characters on this cast more interesting and entertaining than the Joker. And I know he got a lot of scenes cut, and he only, like, had 20 minutes of scene in this movie. But, like, I feel like you really could have cut him out completely. He doesn't really offer anything to the film other than, oh, Harley's here, so automatically Joker has to be here. You could have saved him for, for like, uh, flashbacks. Um, If anything, if I have something good to say about the Joker, and it's not even on the part of Jared Leto, it's on the part of the people that wrote this film... Uh, that car scene where they crash into the water and Batman pulls Harley Quinn out of the car, Joker's not in there. And if you're not familiar with the Joker, you're probably thinking like, oh, the Joker either died or he, he ducked out, we didn't see a body. And then, like, we, we see that scene, and it's basic film 101. We see that scene of him ducking out, and we think, oh, Joker's gone. Maybe he's dead. Um, then he reappears, and we're thinking, oh, he, he didn't die, he just disappeared. So that way, when the helicopter crashes later on, Joker's in it, we don't see him die in the helicopter. We just, we see him pan out, and we assume he dies. And so if you're a smart viewer, you're like, oh, we didn't see him die. Joker's done this before. He might come back. And at the end of the film, he he breaks into the prison. Which, by the way, that felt a lot like a dream sequence. Mm -hmm. Because if it wasn't a dream sequence, it felt tacked on. And because it wasn't a dream sequence, 
it felt tacked on. He breaks into the prison, takes off his helmet, and, like, rescues Harley Quinn. And, it, like, that's what I mean. Like, it feels so stereotypical of, like, a woman in a castle and, like, oh, no, someone would save me. And, like, some, like, hero busts in the room, takes off their helmet, like, I'm here to save you. Like, that feels so generic. Uh, and you apply it to the Joker. Um, but to put it simply... The Joker was boring. I didn't like him. Webby, you got anything? I'm in the same boat. I think... Uh, not saying that I, I hated Jared Leto's performance. Again, it might just come down to writing. It, to me, you could have just insert generic psychopath and you would have gotten the same effect. Yeah. Um, I will say... Like you, you mentioned the scene where he's in the uh, straitjacket talking to Doctor Quinzel, yep. and uh, I did like that. Yeah. Um. I every scene when he's with Arlie was a better scene than without. Yeah. Um. It's weird to see him obsessing over her. Right, and that's the thing is like, in the comics, it's like. He cares about her, but out of convenience. Yeah, it's more like he has fun with her, but that's it. She's a she's a toy to him. Right, and it's never out of like I genuinely care about her. Yeah. Or 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 anything like that, which when she jumped into the the pit of whatever that goo was. Yeah. You know, I was glad when he started to walk away. I was like, oh, okay. He just kind of let her jump and whatever. And then he's like, he turned and he jumped back in. I was like, all right, I kind of see that coming. But... Yeah, because she probably would have drowned. Oh, yeah. So, like, it was probably, like, it was probably a joke he was playing. Um, I will say one of the more questioning parts yeah. involving the Joker, and it's not, like, a bad question. It's more of, like, a... What the hell is this all about? Yeah. When he's laying down in that room full of knives and guns <laughs> and weapons and there is one random hammer. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if you saw this. In the upper corner of the screen, there were toddler clothing. Yeah, baby Just, baby clothes and, like, TV screens. It, what's with the baby clothes? Like, Because uh, he doesn't have enough character, so we have to put character around him to convey the illusion that he has character. That's why he wears so many different outfits, so that he looks colorful and and interesting, uh, but isn't. See, that was one thing I didn't like. See, I'm just not a. I'm also just not a fan of that particular style of Joker. Yeah, I've never seen a Joker who isn't classy. Like, you can say whatever you want about the Joker, but he's a pretty classy guy. Yeah, he's always wearing a suit. Yeah, you know. He's always uh, like a ge- like not a gentleman, but like he's a showman, right? Like that's what this Joker lacked. He wasn't uh, he wasn't classy, he wasn't suave, and he wasn't a showman. Like you think of like maybe not so much uh, Heath Ledger, but definitely Mark Hamill Joker had like a, a charm and charisma to him that Leto couldn't you know compare it to. Oh yeah, D- Jack Nicholson. Yeah, Jack Nicholson. He he ate that role up and he had fun doing it. With Leto, it seemed like. He was having fun, but he was having fun pretending. Right. Like, like it seemed like Nicholson and uh, and Hamill legitimately have fun being the Joker, where Leto is just like, no, but here's my take on it. Right. Now, in in his defense, 
I yeah. guess. Because I'm not going to just sit here and trash Leto or Leto's version of the Joker or or whatever. He 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 did what he could with what he was handed. Yep. Um, my also my defense on that is in the same aspect. He wasn't a main part of the movie. True. There, there was no character buildup. There was no character designed for him. It, it was more so, okay, you know this guy's a psychopath. Here's a psychopath. Yeah. If we had a movie with Leto as that Joker and he was the main villain and he had two hours to, you know, convince us, like Heath Ledger did. Yeah. Maybe he would have hooked more people. I don't know. It, I, I see this Joker and I, I can't imagine how he would play off Ben Affleck's Batman. Uh, yeah. Plus, like, really, like you said, he he's only there for a short time. I feel like Joker is really there to kind of support Harley's arc, because yeah. for a while, like the Harley, the arc, the Har- Jesus Christ, the Harley arc is going pretty well, because she's obsessing over the Joker. She's texting him behind the other guys' backs. She thinks he's dead, and then she kind of like takes off the the put in neck brace and kind of embraces her friends, and that's usually how it goes in the books. When Harley isn't hung up on the Joker, she's hanging out with Poison Ivy and making friends with the Suicide Squad and, like, allowing her to have friends. It's kind of like that that kind of typical relationship thing where some people act differently with who they're dating compared to who they're with. Right. And with Harley, if it's like she doesn't really need to try hard around her friends uh, compared to the Joker. She doesn't, really have to, she doesn't have to prove anything to people that generally like her uh, the same way she had to, she has to prove herself to Joker, and so having that arc of like Joker disappearing and she accepts herself and her friends, like maybe she's not completely over the Joker, but she can at least find a way to move on beyond him and be a character without him being attached to her. But of course, that's undone at the very end, where let's go home, and they and they that's how they. It's such a weird way to end the movie too. Mm-hmm. Now, see another reason why I felt like. Okay, there were a couple scenes where the Joker was, quote-unquote, abusive to Harley. And that was, like, when she was the doctor and he tortured her. That's yeah. how he got her to pretty much become insane. Yeah. Um, the whole car, you know, she can't swim, but that didn't stop him from driving it off the pier. Yeah. And then he just left her there. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I can see these things. I was hoping for a, a little bit more... Because I honestly was hoping that in the storyline, it was going to be Harley getting fed up with the Joker. Yeah. And I thought they were going to go that route, which they didn't end up yeah. doing. It, so. When you bring up the point of like the torture and everything, like he tortures her before she's Harley Quinn. He, I guess, like he doesn't force her, but he asks her to jump into the acid vat. And uh, the thing with the acid is when they jump in, like, their clothes melt off a little bit. And I think that's supposed to be Ace Chemical Plant, and that's supposed to be the same acid that created the Joker. Right. Because in the New 52, like in the more recent comics, they reestablished that Harley Quinn jumped into the same acid as the Joker and basically became female Joker, and that's how it all happened. But in the original origin for Harley Quinn from the TV show and the original comic um, Harley Quinn Mad Love... uh, she doesn't get into the vat of acid like Joker does. The Joker doesn't even torture the same way he does in uh, in Suicide Squad. The original origin is that the Joker just manipulates her into loving him. 
and that's right. enough to send her over the edge. Yeah. I feel like that, like, if they had done that, it would have gave Jared Leto's Joker, uh, I guess, more character. It would, have made him, it would have made him feel smarter. If he was if he was better at manipulating than he was as to, like, just influencing or suggesting, because that's, mm-hmm. that's the difference. You can suggest anything, but you can't manipulate someone unless you're really smart about it. Right. But Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, but, I mean, that... Again, that's that's the joke. He's not a huge feature in the film. They advertise it like he is, but for what he is, I I don't like him. Yeah, I'm really glad that he uh, wasn't a more prominent role. Yeah, and and hopefully from the results that you know Warner Brothers sees of this, they may. I don't know if they would recast the Joker. I feel like they could because the thing with the Joker is that in the comics, he always appears differently. Or he, you know, he always dresses differently, or sometimes his face is cut off. The point is, you can always portray him differently because that's just part of the Joker. He's always look, he's always different looking, always a different origin. So they could recast him. I've always said, and I agree with like my friend Justin on the comic of hey, we agree that like James Franco, I think could do a good Joker. Yeah, I can see that. If you, have you seen the interview? Yep. Yeah, like the like that one scene of him wearing like a purple tux, like that looks all that convinces me. Um, but moving on from the characters, uh, we won't keep around too long, but I just want to talk more, two more things. Um, one thing I want to talk about with you is the soundtrack, because the soundtrack is a character in itself, where at first in all the trailers, we're looking at this like, all right, so they're kind of taking a page from the Guardians of the Galaxy book, but with Guardians, it felt natural, and in this film, they jump from one song to another so quickly that, like, you better have, like, the Shazam app on your phone open so you can, you know, catch all these different songs. It's such a varied uh, cast of, of bands and performers. You got, like, I, I listed a couple here. You got Eminem, Grace, 21 Pilots, Wiz Khalifa, Panic at the Disco, Rick James, The Rolling Stones, uh, ACDC, Kanye West, Black Sabbath. Like, the list goes on. They have so many, like, different varieties of songs and they're nice songs to listen to, but they're really distracting when you're watching a scene about Deadshot and it's got like this nice, you know, Kanye West song or whatever in the background, and then it's like cut to this other character, new song plays, and it's like, oh, but like you don't see that in movies. Mm. You you got anything to say about the soundtrack? Like did it distract you at all? Did you notice the sudden changes? I did in the same aspect that I noticed, like, odd visual cuts. Yeah. Like, it was more background noise to me, I guess. Yeah. Um, as far as, it, did it distract me? No, but it was noticeable, and it didn't flow. Like, yeah. it just... I felt like they were leaning on the soundtrack too much to be entertaining. Yeah. It, it falls in that same category as the presentation, where, like, again, similar with, like, the Joker or other characters that, you know, aren't, don't, aren't given a lot of characterization, the soundtrack is there to give you the illusion that the movie is entertaining and fun. It, and I'm not saying it isn't, I'm just saying that I feel that they were leaning on the soundtrack, hoping it would distract people into, like, thinking that a scene made sense or that it all kind of... Because if you're watching a scene and something doesn't look right to you, you might notice it. But if there's a song in the background, you might be too distracted and enthralled by the scene to notice the inconsistencies. Right. But, like, 
yeah, the soundtrack is definitely a, a character in its own. It's a, a long, long list of people involved. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, a good 15% of the budget went to, like, the soundtrack. Ugh, that'd be... Because they got a lot of different people on this. Um, but I think the last thing we can talk about, Webby, is the the future of, uh, of what Suicide Squad has ended up being if it will affect the rest of the DC universe. Uh, I, I guess a couple things to talk about. I think it's kind of obvious we might get a sequel to this. I'd be okay with that. I would be too. I think it was good enough to, to deserve a sequel. The fact that Joker gets away at Harley at the end might be like some kind of bait. Like, like Suicide Squad 2 opens with them getting Harley back. Um, plus, like, of course, the, the Suicide Squad has been in comics... Since the 60s, uh, they only got popular in the 80s, um, but because they've been around for so long, they've had so many different uh, members on the team. You know, uh, a couple of ones I, you know, I would like to see in future films, like uh, the Superman villain, the Parasite, uh, the Cheetah, who's a Wonder Woman villain, uh, who else? Bronze Tiger, Multiplex. There's oh, Count Vertigo from the Green Arrow comics. Like, there's a lot of characters from the comics who have been members of the squad and uh, obviously they're going to introduce more characters and they're probably going to kill off more characters in the future um, but as, as far as like sequels go uh, again it, it's pretty obvious and they have a lot of room to work with I just hope that in the future they have plots that seem more fitted for the team like this like, like yeah like we said earlier it's going to be hard moving forward to you know you saved the entire world from a, a former goddess <laughs> yeah it, yeah so, it, it's the man of steel effect where like your first movie is saving the entire planet right see they should have started off smaller like here there's a threat endangering the city go save it yeah like like i said uh that one character count vertigo He's from a, a small fictional country out in Europe, and he has superpowers. So, like, they could have said, like, yeah, this country is holding, like, uh, has, like, an American... Oh, here's what you do. You, you say, like, this small country being ran by this superpowered uh, count, it, you know, they're holding a, an American metahuman hostage. Go there, save the metahuman, come back, but, like, don't start an international war. We can't send an army over there because of, like, you know, public relations. But you guys can go over there in secret, save whoever this metahuman is. You know, you can have it be, like, like some kind of cameo of a DC character. Go there, save them, fight Count Vertigo. Like, have it be a more grounded story that would better fit a military team. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And, and like, with the ending to the Suicide Squad to begin with, with with Joker coming in and busting Harley out and stuff, mm-hmm. I I I think that would be better um, suited. Like if they if they were gonna if they did have the intent of making a Harley yeah, standalone so film, yeah, make that before they do any type of sequel. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because you, you're so. still gonna want Harley on the team because that's what people came to see. But I think it would be better to establish that Joker Harley thing outside of a Suicide Squad movie, so they have more room for the rest of the film. Right. Um, the other thing about the future of this film is like, because we see Batman, we see Flash in this movie. They they reference the death of Superman. They do a good job, I think, 
at connecting with the rest of the DC universe, which is something that, you know, they've been... Like, we talked about how in Batman vs. Superman, the only links they have to Aquaman and Flash are, like, little teaser trailers that are on a laptop screen. Um, but with this film, they, they make it feel natural. They make it feel more connected, and it doesn't feel tacked on with the references they make. So, um, I would hope that in the movies to come, there are references to Suicide Squad, or at least the characters involved. Um, I know a lot of people have been saying, like, oh, what if they build Suicide Squad up to, like, be a villain in, like, a Justice League movie? Like, what if we have a Justice League versus Suicide Squad? And for me, it's like, yeah, that's cool saying out saying out loud, but realistically, the squad would be killed. Yeah. Like, especially if Superman's there, like, you're done. Yeah. Superman could take on the entire squad by himself, I would think. Yeah, I mean, not to mention, you, you some, something you gotta consider, like, like you said, it sounds good saying it out loud. Yeah. Like, yeah, it'd be awesome to see these two opposing forces. Um, but when it comes down to it, majority of the time, Suicide Squad made up of villains. Almost <laughs> directly opposed villains to the Justice League, who is made up of superheroes. Yeah. And when, 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 the, when the dust settles, the superheroes generally always win. Yeah, like... It's the Suicide Squad. They don't stand much, much of a chance. It's like, with something like the Legion of Doom, like, you know, Lex Luthor, Black Manta, you know, sometimes Black Black Adam, like, that makes sense, because they're all the main villains of each individual Justice League member. That's okay to, to do, because they're all right. super powered. But with this, it's like all the, like the D-list, lower-class villains who don't stand much of a chance. Right. In fact, there's an episode of the Justice League Unlimited cartoon where they use Suicide Squad, but they don't call it that because it's a kid's show. They call it Task Force X. Um, and their whole plot is sneaking up to the watchtower satellite base of the Justice League and, like, stealing a weapon from them and then, like, returning back to Earth. Like, it's not even a, a full fight between the squad and, you know, the entire Justice League Unlimited. It's a small sneaking plan because they know they can't take on, like, three members of the League. Yeah. I mean, that would have been cool if it was, if it was more like, we're going to send the squad in to steal something from Wayne Industries. Oh, why Wayne Industries? And, like, Amanda Waller's like, I'm not going to tell you why, but I know why, because I know Bruce Wayne is Batman. Right. That would have been kind of cool. Um, but, like, I think we'll definitely see them in the future. I think, like, when we get to the Flash movie, there'll be some kind of Captain Boomerang reference. Um, you know, same with other characters. Uh, out of all the individual cast members, maybe, like, not counting Harley Quinn or Joker, like, which character do you think is more likely to make a cameo in some other film? Oh, okay. okay. Now, which one do I think is most likely, or which one do I want? Not counting Amanda Waller, Harley Quinn, or the Joker. Boomerang. Captain Boomerang. Yeah, right? I'll, I want to see Captain Boomerang either make a cameo. Yeah. Yeah, he's not his own film kind of guy. No, yeah. I, you might get a scene of, like, The Flash explaining, like, his, his early days, and, like, Captain Boomerang's running a bank, Flash runs up, ties him to, like, a light pole, and then runs off, and that's all you get. Yeah. But yeah, I'd like to see him. Um, I, I don't think you'll end up seeing... A dead shot making a cameo. I don't know. Uh, mm. I feel like. I maybe, mean, well, maybe because I mean, Will Smith did say that he loves that character. Yeah, I think uh, I think you'd see him, and maybe like a, like maybe if they're doing a, it, it's tough to associate one character to another, but like 
if for a superhero movie there was like a plot where a superhero is targeted by an assassin and Deadshot goes to do it, but at the last second, like, Waller calls him off. Yeah. Kind of like how Hawkeye was treated in the first Thor movie. Right on. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, so, um, overall, I guess, considering everything we've talked about with Suicide Squad, um, you know, considering all the cuts, you know, the, I don't want to say that the cuts are an excuse for the movie we got. Uh, I know when I talk about Batman vs. Superman, there's always that excuse of, well, oh, things got cut, oh, it's not the full version. Like, I firmly believe that a film should be reviewed and judged by how it comes out. And that everything extra is just bonus content that shouldn't be considered because if I have to consider the full version to be the absolute version, then it should be the one that they put out on a movie screen. I, I pay money to go see a movie. I, I don't pay extra money to see the stuff that was let out. So I, I judge by what is put on the movie screen. And for what was put on the movie screen, Webby, what would you grade this? I, I don't go with, like, number scores. I go with, like, classic school grades. All right, letter grades? Yeah. For what I saw on the screen, I will give it... Are, are we doing, like, pluses and minuses, too? Yeah. I'm going to give it... Somewhere, probably B, B minus. Yeah, I I think I I would give it a. I'd give it a B. It's, it was better than I expected it to be. Absolutely, um, it definitely impressed me in a few places. But uh, at the same time, with what they had to work with, they didn't blow me out of the water with the decisions they made. Uh, right. I, you know, I was surprised it was better than I thought it would be, but I was still disappointed by some of the aspects. So, you know, I, I almost made it an A-, minus. but talking about it again has that effect of reminding me of the things I didn't like and how they kind of hurt the film. So, you know, a solid B is, I think, a, a good grade for this. Right. So that is the Rafi Reviews of Suicide Squad. Webby, thank you for joining me for this. Hey, thank you for having me, man. No, yeah, it's good having you on on this side for a while. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no joke. Yeah, so um, everyone listening, uh, where where can they find you, Webby? Give them your deets. Uh, okay, you can follow me on Twitter at Jacks Forest Walker, all one word. That's J A X Forest Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, visit our website www.distractionsmedia.com, and that'll have links to all of our various podcasts and. Uh, probably a link to our patreon because we got a patreon going right on and uh just for all the listeners out there we got some uh new and exciting stuff in the uh in the can yeah getting ready to be worked on so look forward to it you want some quality podcasts go to distractions media um go to panelbuyer.blogspot.com to read my posts uh today's when so to tomorrow actually that doesn't apply but (laughs) uh Go to the blog. Some good posts are up right now. Uh, at the time of this recording, I probably did a post about what characters I'd like to see in the next Suicide Squad movie, so that's out there for you. Um, go to panabiter.podbean.com to listen to all the podcasts. Again, by the time this is out, we might have a comic buffet episode on Batman Year One. So uh, go check that out if you're interested in that story. And uh, follow the Panabiter on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Uh, all of the comic buffet podcasts are all on uh, iTunes and uh, we do have a YouTube with a few videos so uh, follow us on there Uh, thank you all for listening and showing your support 
Uh, thank you and have a great day. Say bye, Webby. See ya.